All problems are unsolvable. The essence of the existence of a problem is that there is no solution. Looking for a fact means there is no fact. To think is not to know how to be. This is The Stranger, the podcast of migrants and morally dubious thoughts. What did you expect? Welcome, Sonny. Make yourself at home. Marry my daughter. You've got to remember that these are just simple farmers. These are people of the land. The common clay of the New West. You know. In 1974, a young Mel Brooks directs the movie Blazing Saddles. The comedy has become an all-time classic nowadays, although it was received as quite controversial from the very beginning. Cleveland Little, starring as Bart, an improbable black sheriff of Rockridge, a town on the American frontier in 1874, has Gene Wilder as Jim, aka Wacko Kid, his alcoholic assistant. The film is considered to be a milestone in how topics like segregation and racism can be treated and discussed within the borders of comedy. But even more subtly, Brooks' movie is a plastic vivid representation of an even more universal theme, the one that deals with human beings balancing between their sedentary and migratory nature of animals. A main idea at the basis of the script that has the word saddles in its title as a symbol of movement is that there is an irreducible wicked thinking in the mind of people that decide to stay, to stop in a place, select their clay, build their houses, and proclaim that land as theirs forever, therefore establishing a form of privilege. There is something twistedly moronic in the instinct of the people of Rockridge that is common to every community of the planet. Schwarzes! No, no, seid nicht mehr sugar. Kappa walk, it's all right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, in. Take off. They darker than us. Woof. The Indian chief, assaulting the black family in the middle of some American western landscape, speaks Yiddish and lets the family move on, after having a glimpse of them. He notices that they are weak, they are darker than us, and the rest is history, Sheriff Bart claims to close this very famous scene that represents in every aspect two sets of strangers whose paths are crossing along the road of the roaming. No matter how both rejected, hunted, foreigners are, a stranger can always recognize another stranger. Who the hell are they? Railroad workers! They've agreed to help us make our dream come true. And all they ask in return is a little plot of land they can call their own the homestead. Now what do you say? Now, the town faces its existential danger. The institutions have decided to get rid of Rockridge to give priority to a new railroad that would be the golden business of the future. The army that is leveraged to raid on the town is made of a surreal set of all those people that in different places and times in history have fought hard to protect their traditions, expand the living space of their fellow men, defend their cultures in the name of exclusion, Criminals, gangsters, Ku Klux Klan, Nazis, and Methodists. All right, we'll give some land to the niggers and the chinks, but we don't want the Irish. Everybody, no deal. Oh, prairie shit. 
Everybody. <laughs> At this point, the white town of Rockridge seeks real help, and Brooks uses all his genius. The support will come from an opposite army of strangers, a bunch of outcasts with no privilege, just trying to be someone. They are railroad workers, coming from different places but with dirty jobs in common. The very core identity of the town, its fundaments and infrastructures, everything the people of the land believe in, has actually been set up by foreigners and built by strangers. And they are ready to do it once again, to trick the enemies that are about to ride down to Rockridge to burn it down, by building a fake city with fake citizens in few hours, overnight. In fact, it takes less than a day to build from scratch a white town of people of the land together with everything it represents. Of course, you'll have the good taste not to mention that I spoke to you. Of course. Blazing Saddles finale is metalinguistic. The film will turn upon itself and start reasoning about the film in a self-referential mechanism that will create a loophole that represents the glitch in the system that can help break it and understand it, just for a single moment, in a notion of deep, complex, funny arguments. And now, as usual, we have our coffee and we change music. This is to Telemachus. My dear Telemachus, the Trojan War is over now. I don't recall who won it. The Greeks, no doubt, for only they would leave so many dead so far from their own homeland. But still, my homeward way has proved too long. While we were wasting time there, old Poseidon, it almost seems, stretched an extended space. I don't know where I am, or what this place can be. It would appear some filthy island, with bushes, buildings, and great grunting pigs, a garden choked with weeds, some queen or other, grass and huge stones. Telemachus, my son, do you wonder the faces of all islands resemble one another, and the mind trips numbering waves, eyes soar from sea horizons, run, and the flesh of water stuffs the ears. I can't remember how the war came out. Even how old you are, I can't remember. Grow up then, my Telemachus. Grow strong. Only the gods know if we'll see each other again. You've long since ceased to be that babe before whom I reigned in the plowing bullocks. Had it not been for Palamides' trick, we too would still be living in one household. But maybe he was right. Away from me, you are quite safe from all the deep passions, and your dreams, my Telemachus, are blameless. Born in Leningrad and strongly advised to emigrate by Soviet authorities after being denounced as pornographic and social parasite, sentenced to hard labor, confined in a mental hospital, Few poets in human history have been radiating such a splendor as Joseph Brodsky. Exiled, 
Few human beings have been able to talk about the condition we call exile, defining it as, in fact, a metaphysical condition. Few people have explored with courage and complete disenchantment how human beings are even more than ethical, primarily aesthetical creatures, and how the nature of stranger is intimately connected to the one of the free man. If there is anything good about exile, it is that it teaches humility. One can even take it a step further and suggest that the exiles is the ultimate lessons in that virtue, and that it is especially priceless for a writer because it puts him into the longest possible perspective, and through art far in humanity. As Keats said, to be lost in mankind, in the crowd, crowd among billions, to become a needle in that proverbial haystack, but a needle somebody is searching for, that's what exile is all about. Pull down your vanity, it says, you are but a grain of sand in the desert. Measure yourself not against your fellow penmen, but against human infinity. It is about as bad as the inhuman one. Out of that you should speak, not out of your envy or your ambition. Whatever pleasant or dismal, the past is always a safe territory, if only because it is already experienced. And the species' capacity to revert, to run backward, especially in its thoughts or dreams, since the, we are generally safe as well, is extremely strong in all of us, quite irrespective of the reality we are facing. Exile brings you overnight where it normally would take a lifetime to go. If this sounds like a commercial, so be it, because it is about time to sell this idea, because I indeed wish it had more takers. Perhaps a metaphor will help. To be an exile rider is like being a dog or a man, hurtled into outer space in a capsule. More like a dog, of course, than a man, because they will never be bothering to retrieve you. And your capsule is your language. To finish the metaphor off, it must be added that before long the passengers discover that the capsule gravitates not earthward, but outward in space. Yet, if we don't use it, if we decide to remain effects and play at exile in an old-fashioned way, that shouldn't be explained away as nostalgie de la boue. Of course it has to do with the necessity of telling about oppression, and of course our condition should serve as a warning to any thinking man toying with the idea of ideal society. That is our value for the free world. This is our function. But perhaps our greater value and greater function lie in our being unwitting embodiments of the disheartening idea that a freed man is not a free man, that liberation is just the means of attaining freedom and is not synonymous with it. This highlights the extent of the damage that can be done to the species and we can feel proudful playing this role. However, if we want to play a bigger role, the role of a free man, then we should be capable of accepting or at least imitating the manner in which a free man fails. A free man, when he fails, blames nobody. stating what needed to be said. I'm particularly glad that these lovely children are here today to hear that speech. 
Not only was it authentic frontier gibberish, it expressed a courage little seen in this day and age. This is The Stranger, the podcast of migrants and morally dubious thoughts. <laughs>